Hey, thanks so much for your interest in this sermon. We're gonna get right to it in just a minute. Before we do that, I wanna let you know that what you're about to watch is part of a greater series called The Forest in the Seed. And it's more than just a teaching series, it's actually a year-end initiative where we're asking everybody to consider at King's Church, how do I take ownership and bless what God is blessing to feed what's been feeding me? How do I move into stewardship and even maybe partnership? And I wanna ask you to consider that same thing. If this ministry and these sermons have blessed you, I wanna ask you to consider joining us as we do a year-end offering on December 1st and you can do that online you can go to our website at kingschurch.cc and find out more about how you can partner with us and help get this message out farther than ever before and before more people than ever before so I want to ask you to consider partnering but before that why don't you enjoy this message I want to start out with a, an idea this morning and, and the, the idea is this that every so often uh, we will come across a principle or a discovery that once we discover it, it changes everything. That, that, that somehow, sometimes in some seasons in our lives, small changes make big, big impacts on our lives. Anybody know this to be true? The, the government of Canada knew this, knew this to be true. Uh, back in the 90s, those of you who were here and you were like, maybe like me, a child of the late 80s, early 90s, uh, you remember Heritage Minutes? Hey, all right. I know all my American and international friends, you'll have to humor us for a moment, but this is a big part of that decade. Our heritage, if you ever watched TV in the 1990s, you probably saw them all, right? And this was uh, the, the government of Canada trying to educate us on great discoveries and great men and women in Canada. Like, like I, I went down memory lane this week and I, and I found a few of them. Anybody remember this one? Dr. Wilder Penfield, the great neurosurgeon. What do you smell now? Doctor. I smell burnt toast. Remember that? Yeah, you remember it. Or, or the, here's, here's my favorite. This one was my favorite. Yeah, Dr. James Naismith. It was Movember in Springfield, Massachusetts. Remember? And they're like, how are we supposed to get the ball out of the basket? Well, let's cut the bottom out of the basket. But I need these baskets back. Remember? Yeah. You remember that one? Here's my, here's my favorite one. Signal Hill, Marconi. In Newfoundland, and they're like, do you like, you hear that sound? That's coming from England. And then it's the first transatlantic communication. Am I, am I, anybody, this is this jogging good feelings. And he, and he goes, he goes, through the air across the ocean for the first time ever. Yeah? Is that, is that, my sister-in-law is French-Canadian, so I, that's, that's my best, my best, he's amazing. So the, the government of Canada understood this principle to be true, that, that these small discoveries have huge implications on our lives. And you've probably experienced that before. Maybe it was a, a, a shift that you made in your diet. I remember a little over three years ago, I, I made a decision, I'm fat and I need to lose some weight. And so I decided I'm gonna cut out pop and I'm gonna make treats, treats, and let's just see what happens. And I made that small shift and over the next year, I lost 50 pounds by those small shifts. You didn't think I had 50 pounds to lose, did you? I didn't either. I did apparently. But those small shifts, maybe for you, you had a relationship that was holding you back and you, and you, you moved on from that and all of a sudden flourishing happened that wasn't happening. Small little adjustments along the way can have big, big implications in our lives. You've experienced that to be true. And so today I want to talk about three little adjustments that in our lives you can make that I believe have the capacity and the power to take you from just getting by to this picture of flourishing. If you're just joining us, we are in a series now we're calling The Forest and the Seed. And it's really just a fancy kind of title to talk about potential and fruitfulness. That really we talked about last, last week that everybody, every one of us are after the same thing. We all want the good life. We all want to experience life and life more abundantly. And we connected the dots and we said that Jesus actually came that we would have life and have it more abundantly. We, we, we looked at Psalm 1 and how the one who gives their life to Christ and plants themselves in that reality of Jesus, that, that God is much more interested, that the whole Christianity thing isn't just about, I believe in Jesus, therefore I die and go to heaven, which that is a part of our hope. But we discovered last week that it's much bigger than that. What God God wants to do in your life is invade the entirety of it. And he wants to root out darkness in your life and bring light. And he wants to take out dead things and rot and decay and bring life and strength and meaning. That's what God is after. God wants to bring heaven into your life now. Can I get an amen? amen. And so we've been talking about this idea of prosperity, the forest and the seed, and how God has given us this life to steward. We're going to talk more about that today. But as you appropriate your life, 
God wants to develop your life so that in the the words of the psalmist, it's like a tree planted by streams of living water whose leaf does not wither, who bears its fruit in its season. In all you do, you will prosper. We're talking about prosperity. We're talking about true prosperity. Now let's just flush all of the, the bad associations we have with that word, especially those of you who've been around church for a while. You've probably heard of the prosperity gospel and there are abuses of that word, the word prosperity. It has been co-opted to just be about money. What we are talking about is far more than money. In fact, money is just a medium. Money is not prosperity. It's just a byproduct. We're talking about true prosperity and true prosperity is what? It's the absence of lack. It's having the overflow. We talked about fruitfulness last week and how to have fruit, that means you have to be fulfilled to overflowing. Prosperity, in other words, is having a surplus. It's having more than enough. That's what prosperity is. And God wants you to have more than enough in every aspect of your life, not just in areas of provision. That's usually where we boil it down to, isn't it? Do I have enough money? Do I have enough money? That is a snare and a trap. God actually wants you to have more than enough joy, more than enough hope, more than enough confidence, more than enough wisdom, more than enough character, more than enough life. He's after those things that money can't buy. Amen? And so we're talking about this forest in the seed, and it's a series that we're doing, but it's much more than a series. There should have been one of these on your seat when you came in, or if you're online today, you can look at it on our website. And it's more than a series, it's actually an engagement initiative. We're trying to drive engagement here at the church, and I'm going to ask you over these next few weeks to consider how you are planting your life in the soil of King's Church. And on December 1st, we're going to take a commitment offering. It's going to be an annual, it's going to be an annual thing where we, after we collect our thoughts and our minds before the Lord and we ask him, God, how would you have me this year uh, sow seed into King's Church? And we're going to respond on December 1st. So I want you guys to be praying about how you're going to give on December 1st and what you're going to commit to when we talk about giving our lives and planting our lives in good soil. And so that's really what we're talking about with the forest and the seed. But I want today... This somehow is like really rickety and rockety today, and it's going to drive my OCD crazy. Bear with me. I want to talk today about three little adjustments, though, that can absolutely change everything. And to do that, I want to look at Galatians chapter 6. Now, we are, if you're just joining us, we're a Bible church. We're not one of these churches where I get up and wax eloquent about all of my life experience. I'll insert some testimony. But by and large, what we do is we open the Bible and we just see what it says because we think it's true and good. Amen? And so we're going to do that again today. In Galatians chapter 6, this is written. It's a letter written to a real church in a real time in a real place called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. This is one of the churches that a guy named Paul planted himself, and he's writing this letter to help them as they try to figure out this whole life thing, specifically as it pertains to following Jesus. And he gives them some real strict directions and directives throughout the whole book. It's an incredible book. There's some amazing statements in there, like, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but the life I now live in the body. I live through faith in Christ who died and gave himself up for me. There's some incredible statements in there. And in chapter five, he talks about the picture of what it looks like for the one who lives in Christ. And he, and he highlights something called the fruit of the spirit. And if we had time, we'd look at it. And what he's talking about is the byproduct of what it looks like to follow Jesus. That if you're following Jesus and if you're integrating your life, let me use that word, if you're planting your life in him, what's going to accompany that is much fruit. And he started highlighting some of the things that you should start seeing when you follow Jesus. You start seeing the fruit of joy, the fruit of of peace, the fruit of self-control. All these things start to show up when you follow Jesus. But then he turns the page in chapter 6 and he hits them where they need to be hit. He, He gets talking and he said, but now before we get into bearing fruit, I want to deal with something. The fact that you are nowhere near Galatians, you're nowhere near the place where you're going to be bearing fruit. You suck is basically what he says. He says that you're actually collecting a deficit right now. Like we're talking about surplus here, let's deal with your deficit. You right now are nowhere near the place where you're going to be bearing fruit. And so let's look at the text and see what he says and see if we can't find some principles because in here, Paul actually gives us a few things that if you make these shifts, prosperity can and will begin in your life. He guarantees it, I guarantee it. Let's let's look at what he says. He says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. So he says, hey, pump the brakes for a minute. 
I know we've been talking about fruitfulness and it all sounds great, but let's start with reality. You aren't there yet, he says. You aren't bearing fruit. In fact, you are sucking up resource. You are sucking up fruit. You aren't contributing anything. I see no byproduct of your life. You are a non-contributing vortex life-sucking zero is what he's basically saying to them. Not to you. This is what he's saying. That's what he's saying to the church in Galatia. He's saying, you are delusional. You aren't, you aren't producing fruit. You suck things up. You're after fruit. You're just grabbing and hoarding and you're, you're hanging on. He says, you are deceiving yourself. And then look what he says. He says, each one should test their, say it, their own actions. Look at what you're doing, he says. And then you need to start taking pride in yourself alone without comparing. How many of you know there's a connection between pride and comparing yourself with others? What is that? That's sucking up value in how you relate to other people. You're getting your self-worth by, well, I look better than her, or my house is bigger than his, or I'm more successful than them. He's saying, you think that's fruitfulness. All you're doing is trying to pick the fruit off someone else's tree. So he says, you need to check your own actions so you can take pride in yourself without comparing. What's another way of saying this? He's saying, Look, Galatia, look, King's Church, God is interested in you bearing your own fruit. You're more worried about someone else's. So he says, each one should, there it is, carry, what is it? Their, their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives, so he's saying, you've been receiving the blessing of being part of the family of God. Catch this. The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. He's saying the one who receives should release. That says release. <laughs> the one who receives should release. And he's getting in on a principle here. And if we get this, I'm telling you, you're going to see, you're going to see this happening in your life all the time where you are subverting the flow of life into you. You are actually undermining where, when prosperity can really happen. And Paul is getting at it. Here's the big idea I want to, I want to suggest to you today. Here's the first thing that we have to understand when it comes to how do we live a life that prospers? If you're going to bear fruit, which you all want to do, don't you? You all want to be well-adjusted, full of life, full of joy, full of capacity. I want to be somebody who can bless. I don't want to be needy. I don't want to be a user. I don't want to be whiny. I want to stand. I want to be that tree. Here's where it begins. It begins by taking ownership. It begins by taking ownership. Maybe another way to say it is in relationship. Here's what I know to be true. Prosperity is connected to responsibility and reciprocity. That somehow my life and the substance of my life is connected to how I interact with others. And that if I am only withdrawing all the time, I actually undermine the flow of life. How many know that God made life to actually be cooperative? Yes? Like it's in, it's in biology, right? It's the circle of life. Anything that I don't know the words. It's the circle, the circle of. Yeah, Elton John, do your teeth some good. No, it's the circle of life. It's that God made things symbiotic and partnering in, in nature, that, that things are supposed to produce fruit to contribute to someone else's hunger, and that as that thing receives, it is supposed to release something else, that uh, the Bible says, give and it will be given to you, that your life is supposed to be both receiving and releasing, receiving and releasing, receiving and releasing. God made biology that way. God made relationships that way. What makes a marriage flourish? When I receive the benefit of being married to you and I release my best back to you. That's how it works. What, what makes a, a good work relationship work? When you give me employment and I give you my energy. And as this reciprocity works, that's how life happens. Is this making sense? This is a principle of life. And so Paul says, look, if you are ever going to prosper and bear fruit, we need to begin with something. You need to take ownership. You need to respond. You need to reciprocate. You actually have a responsibility to learn how to feed what feeds you. 
that if you are receiving from something and it is contributing to your life, if you don't return back to that, it undermines the flow of prosperity in your life. You've seen it in your life. You've seen it in your marriage. Marriages that break down, what happens? Usually one and then both stop giving back. Isn't that it? One is all take and no give. And things start to get knocked out of balance and all of a sudden dysfunction starts to enter in. This is the principle that Paul is getting at. He's saying that life is cyclical. It's symbiotic. It's meant to work together. And as long as you give and feed what's feeding you, life is flowing. The minute you invert that, and the minute that you think that life is meant to stop here, it actually undermines the flow of life. That's the irony. And what Paul is saying is saying, most of you Galatians, you are living in such a way that like the buck stops here. You are living as you're needy. You're me focused. You are grabbing the fruit from other people's trees and calling it prosperity. That's not prosperity. Prosperity is not someone else's fruit. Your prosperity is living in such a way that is producing your own fruit. That's what God is after in your life. And this is what Paul is getting at. He's saying, you're not prospering. You're not, you're not outputting anything. You're stuck on intake. In other words, you suck. I don't mean that in like, as, it, as it pertains to failure, understand? I mean that like you're, you're just, you, you, you're a user. You take from this relationship and you take from that relationship and you take from this relationship. You're all withdraw and no deposits. And what happens is, what you don't know is it's actually destroying you, not developing you. That the moment that you subvert that and you take ownership and you start to feed what feeds you, that begins the flow of life. That's the start of prosperity. You, some of you have seen it with your own children. Some of you have adult children. That it wasn't until they stopped messing around and they stopped living off of your, what you were giving them and they stood on their own feet and said, okay, I'm a man now. I need to deal with this. That's when things started to shift, isn't it? It's not really rocket science, but it is in the Bible. It's this idea of responsibility, this idea of ownership. And so many people are stuck in this need mode. And if you are stuck in that mode, it means you cannot prosper. If you are stuck in this scarce mode of I need more, I need more, I don't have enough, I don't have enough, I can't, I can't, I can't, I need, I need, I need, that is not prosperity. That's actually poverty. That's poverty. How many know poverty is right here? That's where it begins. The same way that prosperity is, is cyclical, so is poverty. Has anybody experienced that in their own lives? Some of you grew up in poverty. What changed? Probably your mindset first. You had to break the cycle that you were brought up in. You had to see your resource differently. You had to see your opportunity differently. No one was going to do it for you. You had to get out of that kind of, that sort of beggar mentality that says, well, I'm just going to go with the flow and hopefully it works out. You took responsibility and what happened? It broke the cycle of poverty. Does this make sense? This is what Paul is getting at. He's, he's exposing this poverty thinking. Jesus talks about it too. Jesus tells this parable, the parable of the talents or the parable of bags of gold. And if we had time, we'd do the deep dive on it, but we don't today, maybe another time. But what he's talking about here is he tells this story of a master with three servants. He gave one, five talents, one, two talents, and one, one talent. And he says the master went back to collect. And it's this allegory of how God's going to treat us. And he comes to the one with five and the one with five made five more. And he comes to the one with two and the one with two made two more. And they did well. They, they reinvested what God God gave them and it made a return. They were what? Fruitful. But then I want you to see how the master responds to the one who only had one talent. And the Bible says that he did not produce a second talent with that. He buried it. He hoarded it. Look what, look what Jesus says. Jesus says, well, the master, the master said, well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Now, does that seem fair? This is how it works. For whoever has, this is what I wanted you to see. For whoever has will be given more and they will have, say it, an abundance. 
Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Now, what is Jesus getting at? That doesn't sound like nice, blonde, feathered-haired Jesus. <laughs> Huggy Jesus. That's what it sound like, does it? It sounds like, what is he saying? He's not trying to be mean. This is just how life flows and works. He's exposing their different mindsets. The one who has not. Did he have anything? Did the person with one talent have nothing? No, he had something, but in his mind, it was what? Not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. I'm stuck here. I'm stuck here. I better hang on. And the Bible tells us that he was scared. He was a scarcity, poverty mentality. But then he says, the one who has, it's a different mindset, isn't it? Here I have two talents. I'm going to make more out of this. It's the difference between ownership and slavery. You catching this? This is profound stuff. It's the difference between taking ownership of my life or abdicating responsibility and just hoping it works out. That is slavery to the forces that are around you. And what Paul is getting at, he's saying, you've got to see this fact that you are being owned, but God has called you to be an owner. God has called you to be the head, not the tail, the lender, not the debtor. That is what God has called you to be. But you are backwards on this right now. You are stuck in a deficit and you're in deficit thinking. I thought it was so cool. I, I listened to a, an interview with Kanye West. Uh, those of you who don't know, he, like, he's given his life to Jesus, put out a gospel album. It's awesome. I'm cheering him on. And let, let me tell you something. Do not, do not criticize and judge a person who's taken a stand for Jesus. We celebrate it. Amen? And I, it's, it's incredible. And I, I was listening to an interview. I'm just rooting the guy on and praying for him because he has a huge platform and I think God can do and will do great things through him. And I was listening to an interview and he was being interviewed by a hip hop magazine. And the guy was a little standoffish with him because you know, in that community, in the hip hop community especially, they really feel like he's gone off the rails and he's betrayed them and that kind of thing. And so he's asking some really tough questions. And one of the questions he asked Kanye was, you know, are you ever gonna sing some of your old stuff? Because that stuff was awesome. And he goes, are you ever gonna sing your old music? And, and, he, and Kanye just flat out goes, no way. And, and he goes, why? And Kanye said, because I'm free. And the guy sort of, sort of shows, you know, balked at it a little bit. And then Kanye's like, well, here's what I mean. Like, why would I sing about and celebrate things that I think are death? He's like, God has changed my mind. And then, he, and then he goes on, he says this, and I thought this was so important. He said, look, he goes, he says, one in, one in three black men in America are in prison. It's a problem. And he said, he said, now, do you think there's a connection between the fact that in hip hop, what we do is we sing about, we celebrate, and we elevate things that put you in prison? And then we wonder why we're all in prison. He says, it's in our mind. He goes, y'all acting like slaves, he said. You're still, you're stuck here. You're stuck here. You're stuck beneath. You're stuck behind. You're stuck below. And this is what Paul is getting at. He's saying the first thing towards prosperity is coming out from under it and saying, okay, I don't have much, but it's something. And I'm going to steward this for the glory of God. And we will see fruitfulness. And I don't care. I am not settling for, for, for fruit from someone else's tree anymore. I'm going after my own. That's what Paul's getting at, is taking ownership. It's taking ownership, getting unstuck out of the cycle of poverty, moving beyond being a beggar. Here's the, my favorite point I've ever had as a preacher. You'll remember this one. Stop sucking. And again, it's not about failure. God can specialize with your failures. He's incredible at that. He isn't worried about that at all. You stumble, he'll pick you up. You fall down, he'll pick you up. He'll redeem it, he'll restore it. God specializes with failures. What he will not work with is a me-focused person. The Bible says God opposes the proud. And if you are stuck on me, 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 and there's two ways you can be proud. You can be proud trying to elevate yourself, being arrogant, or you can be proud by putting yourself down and being needy. 
It's both pride. It's all self-focus. And what God is saying, what Paul is saying is that when you start to take ownership, it brings natural order into your life. That's how life flows. That's how it goes. That's how it works. This small shift. So, so what does that mean for you right now? There are probably some areas in your life. It might be financial. It might be relational. But the moment that you say, I'm not going to blame you. I'm not going to abdicate resp- responsibility. Listen, abdicating responsibility and prosperity do do not go together. They don't go together. Waiting for something to just happen. This is why like people who win the lottery, so many of them just lose it all. Why? Because their mind wasn't changed. They just had money. You have to change your mind. Is this too much for a Sunday morning? This, look, look, y'all could come here and I could tell you something that makes you feel good or I could tell you something that changes everything and I'm gonna do this. So stop sucking. You get what I mean? I mean, stop being a vortex. You're a consumer. You're a withdrawer. Life happens when you see yourself as a depositor, even if it's just a little bit. When you start being an investor, that's the difference. That's the change. And Paul's getting after the church. That's what he said at the end. He said, like, he who receives instructions needs to release back. Feed what feeds you. Now, I would never presume in a church people would come and not contribute, but... Just got awkward there for a second. Oh, man. No, this is, I mean, people dine and dash every week. Look, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, we're here for you. This is a buffet, man. We put this on for you. You come here. If you're not a believer, we'll, we'll feed you every single week until you make that decision and you cross the line. But when you come part of the family of God and you don't contribute, what are you doing? You're not feeding what feeds you. You are undermining the flow of life. It just got real, didn't it? But that's, that's facts. Feed what feeds you. The moment you stop feeding what feeds you, it undermines life and dysfunction enters in. It destroys the relationship. It degrades the relationship. And it blocks prosperity in your life. Feed what feeds you. Take responsibility. Please, sir, may I have some more? <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> You never know what's going to be in my slideshow. Stop sucking. So he goes on. So he says, like, he who receives instruction, release it. Look what he says is, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit will from the Spirit reap, say it, eternal life. And the word eternal life, now you and I, when we think about that, we think about living forever and ever and ever. That's only part of it. Eternal life means fullness of life. This is the same word that when Jesus said, I've come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. It's this, it's this Greek word, olam" or something. I don't know how to say it exactly, but it's this idea of life that flourishes forever and ever and ever. It's, it's, la- it's the absence of lack. This is what Paul is getting at. If you sow to please the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. And then he says, this is a famous verse. This is, one to, this is one to memorize. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, what is Paul talking about here? What's he getting at? He's saying, okay, so the minute that you stop sucking and you start taking responsibility, that's the beginning of, that's the beginning of prosperity. But now let's take another step. We are going to go from... from non-contributing zeros to taking ownership to now this idea of stewardship. And this is when things really start to change in your life. And this is, this is the difference. Let me just say this. This is the difference I have seen in so many people who come to King's Church. I've seen literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come to King's Church, have an experience with God. It's real, it's meaningful, and yet nothing shifts over time. They don't change their life and they don't start to practice stewardship and all of a sudden you don't see this transformation happening. The difference I have seen is in this area of stewardship. It's not in your intentions, it's in your, it's in your actions. It's in how you appropriate your new faith. Many of you live like practical atheists. I believe in God, but there is no practical implications on how I'm living my life. You aren't placing your trust in him. This is what Paul is getting at. He's saying, look, if you continue to sow to please the flesh, you'll reap destruction. Now, really quick, what is, what is sowing? 
What's seed? Let's, let's, let's establish that. What is seed? Seed in this analogy is our resource. And now you have more resource than just money or no money. Seed, the Bible's, t- we have several things that we could call seed. Time is seed. And I would argue is your most precious commodity. You can make more money. You can't make more time. It is locked in. It does not fluctuate. It doesn't go up and down with the NASDAQ. It is stuck. Time is a commodity. It is a seed. But uh, talent, your ability, your capability, your availability, what you can physiologically do, that is seed. Some of you have a capacity where some of you are good with your hands. You can build something. You can make something where there's nothing. Some of you have, are good with your mind. Some of you are good with advice. It's capacity. It's the resource of your life. It's this idea of talent, and then there is treasure. That's what we're talking about. Money, equity. This is what the Bible is talking about when it talks about seed. And then when it's talking about sowing, what's it talking about when it says sow? To sow is to spend. That's what sowing is. It's to release. It's to deposit. Sowing is spending. Whether it's time, you know, I just got my report this morning on my phone, told me how much time I sowed on my phone. It's always discouraging. (laughs) Anybody? But I sowed that time. My talent, what did I use my abilities for this week? My treasure, where is my money being invested? This is what Paul is getting at when he's talking about sowing. He's talking about this life of stewardship. How you handle your time, talent, and treasure is the difference between a life that reaps destruction or reaps eternal life. That's the difference. This is why so many people come to church and they don't experience the transformation because you haven't submitted anything to God. You haven't started stewarding your life and saying, God, I need you to invade this life. I want to be obedient. I want to take ownership and I want to start investing myself in a way that pleases you. The moment you start doing that is the moment life starts flowing in. Some of you have seen that. Some of you, I've seen you take the test where you start to really give God your time, give him the first on your money, give him the first on your talent and he starts to transform things. This is what Paul's getting at. Don't be deceived, a man will reap what he sows. Here's here's the next big idea that can change everything. Practice stewardship. Here's the the idea. You will grow what you, you will grow what, where, when, and how you sow. This is a fact of life. You will grow what, where, when, and how you sow. That's math, it's science, it's relationships, it's biology, This is how it works. You will grow what you sow, where you sow. If you don't sow it, you won't grow it. This is how things work. This is the principle of the Bible. Now, here's the the mistake we make. We make the mistake of sowing haphazardly and ignorantly. We aren't actually thinking about the fact that we're sowing things, that you're investing all the time. Here's what you need to know. Your life is not static. It's active. It is not passive. Everything you are doing is investment. It's releasing all the time. The question is, what are you sowing? Where are you sowing? When are you sowing? And how are you sowing? Because what you reap, you will sow. It's how things work. The Bible says that God made things to reproduce according to its kind. Like if you sow judgment, what are you going to reap? You've experienced that in your relationships. Have you ever criticized someone and got a compliment back? No, you sowed, you sowed criticism and it came back to you. You sowed a compliment and probably you got a compliment back. Look, <laughs> 99% of you just smiled. I sowed a smile, a smile came back. This is how it works. So if you sow, the question is, what are you sowing? What are you sowing? You, if you're gonna be a steward, you need to think about What am I sowing? Where am I sowing? And when am I sowing? And realizing that all the time I am sowing. And so here's the thing. Don't expect to reap what you haven't sowed. Some of us fool ourselves. That's what Paul's getting at. Don't deceive yourself. You're not going to reap what you haven't sowed. Don't expect to have a great marriage if you don't invest in it. 
Ooh. Right? Can, can anybody even marry long enough to say that is true? Like the definition of insanity is saying, well, maybe it'll get better tomorrow. I'm not going to adjust anything, but maybe it'll get better. That's stupid. What makes your marriage better is the moment you say, I am going to invest in this. I'm not going to be, I can't change him, but I'm going to be responsible for me. And I'm going to be an investor, not a withdrawer. The minute you do that is the minute your, your marriage starts to take a, a shift in the right direction. That's how it works. It's how it works with generations. You know, seeing the whole, the whole like, okay, boomer. Anybody seen that? Look. If boomers are sowing criticism to millennials and millennials are sowing criticism to boomers, what are we going to reap? Criticism and dysfunction. That's how it works. So don't expect to reap something you haven't sown. And don't expect an outcome that is different than your investment. Here's the truth. Most of you have lived long enough on your own to currently be eating the fruit from seeds that you sowed. Like I've been, I've been confronted with this as a pastor in the last little while. I, you know, I've been, I've been a senior pastor here for seven years. You know what that means? It means that if there's something here I don't like, it's probably my fault. <laughs> like the first few years I could blame all my predecessors. Oh, I would never have done it that way, right? Now, seven years, Man, I either planted those seeds, I don't like the fruit, or I didn't plant the right seeds. And so many times I'll, get, I'll catch myself criticizing something or not liking something in our culture or not liking something. And, and God keeps pushing back on me saying, yeah, you didn't sow the right seeds. You didn't invest in the right place. And so I need to take ownership. And this is the same for your life. Look, if you want to have a great family, you need to invest in that soil. You need to sow seeds in that soil. Look, some of you complain about like your, your children. And again, some, there are exceptional cases and some, some children have, uh, you know, like mental illness they're dealing with. But a lot of you just have normal kids that you don't like the fruit of the seed that you planted. Is that too real? Yeah, I'm looking in your fridge this morning, aren't I? Yeah, like I've, I've caught that. Like I've caught my, my kids. You know, I, have, I have an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 4-year-old. And I'm already seeing fruit from seed that I either didn't deposit or did deposit. And some of it's good and some of it's not. The point is this, you will reap what you sow. So here's the big idea that Paul wants you to get at. Let's go here. Start sowing. Stewardship brings divine order into my life. Look what Jesus was saying here. This is the principle of stewardship and sowing to the spirit, the please the spirit. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek, say it, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. What is he talking about? This is where stewardship begins. Stewardship begins by aligning all of your resource with the kingdom. By turning yourself and saying, I am putting my first fruits to you. And if we had time, we could look at the principle first. We could look at tithing. We look at all these things. And this is this idea of turning over the first of your fruit to God. Why? The moment you turn the first of your money, the first of your time, the first of your efforts over to God, that gives him access to the rest. The reason some of your time isn't blessed is because you haven't given God access. The reason some of you are under the curse financially is because you haven't given God access. When you give God the first of your day, he can bless the rest. I was even thinking about this. I was thinking about like, okay, God, how do I give the first of my talent to you? And I, and I felt I was pumping gas this week and I was thinking about this. Like, God, how do I give the first of my talent to you? And I heard him just, just whisper this thing in my spirit. Try giving me the first words out of your mouth. Like what would happen if I got up and instead of flipping on my phone and seeing my sports teams lost and breathing a curse under my mouth, what would happen if I just didn't look at that and the first thing I did every day is get before him and breathe some praise to him? No matter how I feel or how what's going on, what would happen if I give him the first of my thoughts, the first of my day, the first of my words, the first of my finances, the first of my week? What are we doing right now? 
you are giving God the first of your week. This is more than just coming and participating in a service. This is consecrating your week. That's what happens when you surrender the first to God, he blesses the rest. This is what Jesus is getting at. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What's righteousness? Order. It's alignment. Catch this. Don't don't fall asleep on me. When you seek God first, it brings heavenly alignment into your life. It brings the flow of God's grace and kingdom into your world. That's what's happening. When you practice stewardship before God, it brings divine alignment, which is the definition of life. The Bible tells us that sin and death is really just being out of line. It's missing the mark. It's dysfunction. When you seek God first, it brings divine alignment into your life. That's what Jesus is getting at here. So this is the idea of first fruit giving, this idea of stewardship, giving God my first. And so for me, that looks like my week. I try to be at church every single week. I'm, of course, there's exceptions. There's times where you're away or whatever, but you try to give God a day, the first of my week. I try to give God the first of my day in the morning. I give God the first 10% of my, all my finances, all 10%, no, no discussion. It doesn't change when I make more money. It's a, it's a moving scale. Now, for some of you, to jump to 10% in one day is, is just, it's not going to work. Here's what I would challenge you to do. Consecrate to God a set portion and give it to him before you spend. Spending before you give God your first fruits is out of alignment and it brings destruction. But when you give to God first, it brings alignment and the flow of the kingdom. Jesus said, all this will be added to you. So here's the key to prosperity and fruitfulness. Steward your resource. Stewardship brings divine order into my life. Let's look at the last verse. Are you with me still? So Paul, so he says, take ownership, practice stewardship. You will reap what you If you want a great family, if you want kids who grow up in the faith, sow this as a priority. Yeah? Yes. And then he says this, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Okay, now now it's moving. You've moved from being a life sucker to being someone who stands on their own two feet and says, I am not going to live codependent on you. That's what he's getting at. It's codependency. God has called you to cooperation with others, not codependency. You've you've moved to ownership, and then you've taken a step forward into stewardship, where I'm now going to align my life and arrange my life in such a way that says there is a God. That's what stewardship is. It's putting your faith and your trust in action. And then he gets to this last idea, and this is partnership with God. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to say it, all people, even people you don't like, even people that have been mean, we are called to be what? Depositors, investors. We bring good wherever we go. Let us do good to all people. But then he says this, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, to the church. Now, why would he single that out? So he's saying we are called to be good and to do good to all people. We're called to feed the poor, to clothe the naked, to to feed the hungry, to help the poor. That's what we're called to do. Amen? Amen? That's on the heart of God. But he gets to a principle here where he says, especially to those who belong to the family of God. What is he getting at? Here's my, my last big idea that will change everything for you. It's this idea of partnership where you start to bless what God is blessing where you start to say, God, what are you most interested in on the earth and how can I partner with you? That's what Paul is getting at. That's why he says, especially the church. Why is it the best investment to invest in the church? Because the church is the hope of the world. There's no other plan. You know that, right? Like the plan is God has established his church through Jesus Christ and that the church is this tree producing more trees that the life of God is designed to go out all over the earth and that we want to see healthy churches because you know what happens? When a church is healthy, a city is healthy. Amen? Like that, that's on us. When a church is healthy, a region becomes healthy. 
And we need to start changing our belief. And look, we are all for giving to the poor. We do it. I do it personally. I give to all, all kinds of different things. But my first and my best goes here to the house of God. Why? Because pound for pound, the local church is the best investment of kingdom dollars. Period. This is the tree that all of the other good work flows from. It is. This is where it begins. And Paul is saying, bless what God is blessing. Seek partnership. That is what unlocks true prosperity. Look at what Paul says later in Corinthians. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap, say it. Yes. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it and God is, say it, he is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, that sounds like abundance, doesn't it? That you will abound fruit in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That is incredible. That's the promise. And that's the picture that God wants you. He wants you to be able to abound in every good work. That's your destiny. As you follow Jesus, that's what he's after. That you would lack nothing. That you would bear much fruit. That people would see you. Look, God established his church to be so blessed that people would call us blessed and be, the people near us would be blessed. So that's what, that's what Israel was meant to be. You will be a blessing to all nations. That's what the church is meant to be. That's what you're meant to be. Look, your neighbors should benefit from the fact that you live next to them. Yeah? The people you carpool with should benefit from the fact that you're in their car. You are a child of God. You are a son and daughter of God. You carry the life of the kingdom. You are called to be a depositor. Now, here's the big question. If you're operating bankrupt, here's what I know to be true. You can't give what you don't have, can you? You cannot give what you don't have. The gospel of Jesus sets us free from scarcity and deposits in us unending wealth. You can give more forgiveness because you have an infinite supply. You can stand and say, I will rejoice and be glad in this day because there is infinite joy that flows from heaven. You can release things, why? Because the gospel in it we have received and continue to receive all that we need. You can trust God with your finances, why? Because the Bible says, he who did not spare his own son, how could he not also along with him graciously give us all things, everything? If God would give you his son, will he not provide for your bills? Yeah, that's what, that's what this is getting at. So here's, here's the big idea. Partnership with God brings divine favor in my life. When I partner with God, it brings divine favor. The person who prospers is the person who partners with God. God actually wants us to move from God, 10% is yours, to it's all yours. My hands are open. Direct me. Help me be a blessing to others as you have blessed me. Do you know what I've found in my life? The people who are the most prosperous are consistently the most generous. I have yet to see that in any exception on it. The people who are most fulfilled, often the people who have the most wealth are very generous. That's been my experience, Christians anyway. The people who are most prosperous are the people who are most generous. The people who partner with God and say, God, I want to be a blessing. I want to be obedient to you. I want to be, I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the people who prosper. So here's the question I'm going to ask for you today as I wrap up. I'm going to pray for you. Ben, you can come back. Here, here's what I want to ask. What's your next step? What's your next move in your life? Like we can talk about being fruitful and we can talk about prospering, but until you actually get this, it's all well wishes. And you are just being insane, expecting different results by doing the same thing. 
So what's your next move? Some of you need to move to taking ownership. And I don't just mean that in the sense of your role here at King's Church. Like some of you, you've been here long enough. Your kids benefit from this. You benefit from this, but you don't contribute anything. Yes, I want you to contribute something. This, this facts, this doesn't pay for itself, it doesn't. But I want you to contribute something. But that's much more than this. This isn't a, a philosophical thing. Are you looking to others to be your fulfillment when what God wants to do is I want to establish my life in you and to fulfill you myself? It's this idea of codependency. Are you codependent? Do you need that person to say that thing in order to have peace or validation? Or is God growing new identity in you that says, you know what, I don't need that compliment. You know what, I don't need that Facebook like. Are, do you need to have X amount of dollars in the bank before you can say, I can relax now? Or is God growing the trust in your spirit that says, there's, there's trust growing in me that says, he is my provider. He is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have everything I need. My cup overflows. He anoints my head with oil. He wants to establish that in you, but it won't happen as long as you're looking to other trees for fruit. You know what that is? It's idolatry. Idolatry. Go! See if you're paying attention. Take ownership. Move to stewardship. This is where things really start to change. This is where things started to change for my wife and I trying to consecrate my time, consecrate my money, consecrate my efforts, give God access, and then move to partnership. This is where real promotion happens. God favors those he can trust the most. It's just like a parent. Who, which child are you gonna give more resource to? The one that you know is gonna go out and blow it on things that are destructive, or the one that's gonna produce a return? God is the same way. And I've seen God favor those who live with open hands and say, God, all I have is yours. My hands are open. He gives you all that you can handle. So over the next few weeks, I want you to consider what, what your next move is. So let's stand, let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. We believe that it's true. And we ask God now by the power of your spirit, would you talk to us individually. And Lord, we realize that this is one of those things that uh, it's a difficult, maybe difficult for some people to hear. But Lord, we realize this is not an indictment. This is an invitation. And this is, there's reward and there's life on the other side of this. And we pray, God, that uh, Lord, for the one here who needs to learn how to trust you and take ownership and stop being a victim, Lord, I pray that they would see the cross and realize that there are no victims at the cross but Jesus. And that that would set them free from a victim mentality. They'd see the cross this morning and they'd be reminded that I am no longer a slave. I'm not a slave to fear, but you have set me free and you have flipped the switch in my soul where I don't need to be someone who just sucks up resource, but God, you've given me all I need and that from your wealth, I am able to live a life of generosity. God, I pray for the one here today who's never put you to the test and started appropriating their lives and saying, God, you get the first of all of it. Lord, I pray for that step of faith that that would happen and they would see great fruitfulness from it. And Lord, for the rest of us, for all of us who are practicing stewardship, would you take us deeper into partnership? God, as we consider this offering that's gonna happen in December, Lord, I pray that you would put specifics on us that, that how you would want us to invest, especially in the family of Christ, Lord. How, how would we do that? And would you give us creativity and instruction in that? Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We believe that it's true and we ask God that you'd seal it in our spirits and our hearts. Give us grace to live it out, we pray in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.